All right, there we go. It's a brand new uh, Stick to Hockey Live, episode 60. Myself, Jason Martinez. There he is, Anthony DeMarco from the fourth period, thefourthperiod.com, at DeMarco25 on Twitter. What's up, man? Not too much. Uh, like I said before we started recording here, dealing with some kind of April Fool's garbage ice storm. But aside from that, uh, not too bad. Yeah, it's beautiful down here today. It's going up to 79. So, um, yeah, our spring starts a lot earlier than yours. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. It is a cool 28 degrees here today. Wow, yeah. that's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, there's a lot to get into. It looks like Emil Andrea is going to join us in about 10 minutes. Um, wow. Of course, he came over uh, from the Swedish League and had a really good year over there. I mean, you look at his numbers this year. 51 games. He had six goals, 20 assists, 26 points. Mind you, this is a league that is a league of men. <laughs> yeah. And he played in the World Junior Championship, uh, the 2022 one, seven games played, four goals, four assists, eight points this year in the uh, World Juniors. And for the Phantoms, played five games, got a goal and three assists, four points in five games, six pims, minus one. I mean, this kid looks like he's really close to being ready. I don't know how he's going to you know, fair. I hope the Phantoms make us go on a run so we can get a little more eyes on him, but he looks impressive. Yeah, no, it, it and he was, I think, uh, the team MVP for Team Sweden at the World Juniors in the was. summertime. Uh, he was the team captain, and this is a guy that I think that has really blossomed post being drafted. He was drafted in 2021, I want to say, 20? um, in 2020, yeah. So, and that's yeah, turning out to be a really overall. Yeah, so he's that that draft is turning out to be a very good one for the Flyers if everything stays linear, right? With Den Waye and Forrester and now Andre coming over. And, you know, this is a team that obviously is relatively deep at left shot defensemen, both on the roster and down with the Phantoms organizationally mm-hmm. as a whole. But this is a guy who maybe has the most upside. And that's saying a lot given what we've seen from Cam York this season at the NHL level. But this is just another player that can maybe make some other guys expendable down the road, most notably Ivan Provorov and Travis Sanheim, especially if the Flyers are looking at this more from a a long-term approach. But uh, you can never have too many defensemen, right? Obviously, the Flyers have an abundance of the the left-shot kind, but obviously Cam York has really adapted well to playing either side this season, kind of like what we've seen out of Miro Heiskanen down in Dallas uh, over the last four or five years. But uh, Andre looks like a guy who maybe over the next 12 to 15 months could staple himself on the Flyers' main roster. Yeah, I mean, I texted, this was back on March 27th, uh, 7th, I texted Lappy, and I said, you like this Emil Andrea kid. I texted him that at 2.43. He responded at 2.43. (laughs) (laughs) Couldn't get his response back quick enough. He said, love him so far. And I said, Kimo, a solid comparable. He said, small sample size so far but he plays a similar game for sure. And let's talk about the job that Ian LaPerriere's done down there this year. I mean, look at every guy that's come up, Ant. Now, Forster looks ready, totally ready. You look at, you know, Cam York, who started the year down there, came back in much better shape. He still has some things that he needs to adapt to and maybe a little more aggression at the NHL level. And I don't mean hitting, I just mean in playmaking and decision-making. You look at Zamula, who started here, went back down there, came back, looked way calmer, and we're going to talk about him in a minute. I mean, Den YA, all these guys have, have really done a nice job progressing this year under Lappy down there. And he's playing the young kids. He's not winning these games with Cal O'Reilly and, and the older crew. 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure Cal O'Reilly is centering the fourth line, if I'm not mistaken, reading uh, the depth chart from uh, two days ago from Bob Rochuk, the the play-by-play guy down there. And, you know, Andre comes over, and I think he's listed on the first pair with Belpedio. And I think LaPerrier deserves a lot of credit. You know, I think that he's caught, he caught a lot some, of shit over the years. Caught a lot of shit, and yeah. from me included, but I think that maybe that's been because he was a holdover from Craig Berube to Dave Haxtell to Alain Vigneault. Then he goes down and takes over for uh, Scott. Was it Scott Gordon right before him that he took over for? Or was yeah. there someone in between? No, there it was, was Gordon. Yeah, because Gordon left um, and that when his contract was up and that's when they moved Lappy down there. Yeah, and obviously the early returns were too great. But if I'm not mistaken, uh, he had mentioned that AV wanted him to run the exact same system down there. So that yeah. the players were ready to come up uh, and play that exact same role, as opposed to Tortorella, who said, just do whatever you want, carte blanche. And this season has certainly been much better in that regard. Obviously, a lot of the new blood uh, injected into that lineup, I would imagine, has played a role. Like you bringing in guys like Artem Anisimov, a good veteran, Tyson Forster, Brink, and Lexal. You look at Ronnie Adder, full-time guy. Sam Urson obviously has played a big role down there. So part of it has for sure been personnel-related, but I don't think you can discount what LaPerriere has done because, as you mentioned, when these guys have come up to the main roster, not a lot of them has have disappointed, right? Like, obviously, you've had some of the guys who maybe haven't translated as well. Maybe at Ollie like Lexel. Lexel. Maybe, yeah, Lexel flashed, is still, but not wasn't ready. Yeah, he, he's the one example of a guy, in my opinion, that when he came up, like it was just like, okay, I'm not seeing the same guy that I heard was playing down in Lehigh. But I mean, aside from him, all of them have looked pretty good. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Roddy entered up now. He played last night and um, it, we'll get a look at him probably for a few games. But yeah, I mean, even Demway, a fifth round pick came up and I thought he looked good and he looks really close too. When I talked to Torts last weekend, he said, you know, this offseason, you know, don't expect us to go out and get involved in the top end free agent market. He and, he and he said, because I don't want to block any of the young players. You know, he wants them all to have a spot if they earn it to grab it. And he doesn't want a player that they signed, you know, to a, a three year contract, some free agent to be in the way of that player getting up. So in a lot of ways, it'll be next year will be a year of seeing some more of who's who and what's what with another crop of players entering this roster and entering their NHL career. And if guys like Ronnie Adder to Mil Andrea, uh, I think he'll start with the Phantoms next year to adjust to the North American game a little bit more. But from what I hear, he is really close. And then, you know, you look at Adam Yining is another guy and Den YA could be centering your fourth line next year because Patrick yep. Brown's not here. So, you know, things aren't nearly as bad as, as maybe a lot of people thought because of the development of these players. You know, I had a, I had a question that I, when I did a Flyers Daily episode back in September, I found this when I was cleaning out my bag, my broadcast bag. And I, I wrote this email on 9-11-22, and it was the top 20 questions going into this season. And I had this question. I said, which of these three players will show significant development this season at the NHL level? The three players were Frost, York, and Tippett. I remember talking to Bill, and, I, and Bill said, if one of them makes a big jump, that's good. If two of them, that's fantastic. He said, I'm not even going to think about all three because it's it's highly unlikely. All three of those players have made big jumps. Yeah, 100%. And you can make the case that those players will all be on the top line slash top pairing going into next season. Like Morgan Frost specifically over the last month and a half, because obviously he kind of had an up and down season early on. But I think that he's 
come around in a massive way and a lot of adversity thrown his way as well. Like you look at, you know, John Tortorella has really, you know, played hardball with him or maybe not hardball, but more just tough love, if you will. And he scratched he's really him in Toronto. That's hardball. Scratched him in Toronto, <laughs> played him on the fourth line at times. I've still heard that uh, there's a bit of a maybe disconnect within the organization on how they view Frost between, let's say, the coach and management. I've heard Danny Breer is really a good, a big fan of uh, of uh, Morgan Frost, while John Tordrell still isn't as sold. But I think Morgan Frost has done enough here to at least warrant a, an, an opportunity to come back. Now, this isn't me saying that you should lock him into a six or seven year contract. 100% no. But if you want to give him a two year contract, especially given the lack of overall center depth in the organization, especially going into next season, barring them getting you know, the first or the second overall pick, which would certainly change things. I don't see a reason why you'd want to move on from Morgan Frost. And then you look at Cam York, who you can make the case has been the team's best defenseman all season long. Owen Tippett, that obviously, aside from Travis Konechny, has probably consistently been their best forward. These are three guys that I think have really cemented themselves as at least midterm, more in the case of uh, Morgan Frost, at least in the immediate future part of the solution. But in terms of Tippett and, and Cam York, I think these are two guys that are going to be here for the foreseeable future. When you look at Frost over his last 11 games, seven goals, six assists, 13 points, a plus five, uh, carrying 17 minutes and 19 seconds of ice time and being put in a lot of situations. And, and you can go, you can look at this two ways. You can go, well, these games don't mean anything. The pressure's off. So do it when it means something. And then you can also look at it though, you know, the players know the seasons they're not going to the playoffs and he's still finding a way to push. You know, that's one thing. And I talk about this quite a bit. I was talking about this on flyers daily, like even the game last night. I mean, they were dog shit in that first period. They were kind of dog shit in the second. And then in the third, they battled back to get within a goal. Probably should have been tied. Cause I can't believe that Kate's goal was called off, but um, you know, they, they just keep battling back. And while momentum in team sports does not carry season to season, if they win out, like the five-game win streak is not going to translate into wins next year. But the way they play, the the competitive, you know, consistency with which they come out, and last, for, last night the first two periods were not competitive, but the way they keep battling and their resilience is something that can carry forward. And I think for the first time in a while, the organizational DNA, they kind of know what it is, and they know what kind of players they want. They have to check boxes on their list of, non-negotiables if they want to come here, whether it's a free agent, when you're drafting a kid and looking at all that stuff, because I think they have the organizational DNA to move forward. And I think a lot of it's going to stem from Danny, who was a fierce competitor. That's what it's going to be. It's going to be guys that come in, you know, you need talent, sure, but there's going to be guys coming in, you better compete or else you're not going to be here. Yeah. And I think Danny's going to lean a lot on John Tortorella. And I think yeah. that's evident given the fact that Torts hasn't been behind the bench in how many games now. And, you know, like, uh, that's obviously something that has raised questions about Tortorella's role going forward. I mean, I, I haven't had a chance to talk to someone directly about it, but I exchanged a couple of texts last night. And I had mentioned just like, oh, you got a new AGM with you. And it was kind of laughed off. Just like, oh, were we shown again? On, like, was it shown again on the broadcast? Like, what was going on here? And like, the person said that it's like, obviously, it's not a direct tie into hockey ops, but like maybe this is something that Danny Briere is looking at to maybe not be a full-time AGM, but more so wanting to kind of say like, 
we're going to lean on a guy who's right there in the trenches and was brought in to really give us a, a real like pulse on what's going on down there. So I, I, I don't know what the relationship exactly is going to be between these two guys going forward, but like just from an optics perspective, it, it seems as though that Danny Breer is going to be leaning a lot on John Torella to see who they want to bring in. Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, I asked this question to Bill the other day because this whole thing with having the assistance coach is perplexing to me in a lot of ways. You know, it's it's bizarre. You don't see it at the NHL level where this happens multiple times. You know, if a coach is sick or has a family, you get I understand it. But this is definitely different. And I asked Bill, I said, you know, is he angling for a president job or because to me, he's too valuable as the head coach to even think about moving up there now. His work as the guy behind the bench is not even close to done. Yeah, well, that that's the entire thing, and that's why, like, I don't, I don't think this is a situation where you're going to see him become an AGM. But who knows what's really going on in the minds of you know the upper guys in the management? But like you said, like, I just don't think it's time for him to move off from the bench because his biggest asset this season, and arguably the biggest positive coming out of this season, has been the way he's coached some guys up, Travis Konechny specifically. You've looked at Owen Tippett's development, Frost's development, York's development, all these guys that turn around to Rasmus Ristolainen. And I just don't think that his, even if he can give some good insight on player personnel and roster construction, I don't think that over, I don't think that compensates for what you'd be losing behind the bench. And I've said for a while that I think that Bradshaw is maybe the in-house replacement. I think he's a guy that got a bit of consideration for the Columbus job before it was eventually given to Brad Larson. But I just don't think right away is the time. And like for a president role, for a head coach, a career head coach to jump right to a president, it would certainly be a massive leap. You'd be you'd be leapfrogging several like positions in between the coach and the president. But I mean, I guess it's a possibility. I, I didn't get it completely denied. But I mean, at the same time, I guess it's something that in my mind, at least shouldn't be considered in the immediate future. So I went, I did some digging on it because it does perplex me. And I was somebody I had texted asking about it. I said, I just can't figure out the motive or why it just feels bizarre. And what I was told was, you know, Torts thinks it's his responsibility to help develop assistant coaches. They want to be head coaches. You know, they don't want to be assistant all the time. And since the team's not on a playoff run, he feels like, like he can do that right now. And he, he says that he doesn't get, anything out of watching upstairs, that's where all the answers are because the game's too slow. Um, but he apparently is having, this has been really good for the relationship with he, he and Danny developing that relationship. So that is a good thing. And look, him being behind the bench to push for a win, you know, if he gets more out of other guys, I, I think that that's obviously not a big deal at this time. So uh, I, he'll be behind the bench, but I just felt like it was a little bizarre. You know, the other thing he said to this week, with some of the veteran players, JVR Hayes and some other guys, you know, their usage here of late and, and situational usage has been definitely tamped down because he's putting these young players all in that spot. And long gone are the days of Dave Hackstall and forcing Yuri Laterra on us and veteran guys that were never going to be a part of the future. And it was one of the misnomers about torts that, you know, because he's an older coach, the, the notion always is like it was with AV too, but it was legit. 
was they, they don't play young guys. They don't develop guys. He plays all veterans. Torts is not that way. He is really doing everything he can to develop these young players, put them in every situation, forced or killing penalties out there, you know, with the goaltender pulled against with a one goal lead, you know, blocked the shot and got an empty net goal. And all these things are putting these guys in this spot to help develop them. That's task number one right now after what it was task number one was fixing that locker room. And, you know, that's one of the things where I think Torts has excelled the most this season. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that if there was that misconception that John Torrell was a closer, like, Oh, you bring him into when you're ready to win a Stanley cup because he was an older guy. And like you said, the comparison to Alain Vigneault, but he has been anything but. And I think that the biggest difference was, is that compared to let's say the Haxtell days with Laterra and Weiss or AV with Thompson and Grant is that those guys were trying to win hockey games. Yeah. This year hasn't really been about winning. It's about saying a culture and competing every game, but it's first and foremost has been developing your young guys and figuring out what you have moving forward. And that's what they've done. And, you know, like you said, you have these guys killing penalties that you wouldn't have thought in the past. You have them defending leads out there in big game situations, and you have to figure out what all of these players are. And, I think that John Tortorella, at least personally, and I've said this several times over the last few months, has con- completely changed my perception as to what he is as a coach. And that, you know, you've even heard large pundits say, like I believe even Frank Saravalli has said, that, you know, he was the worst possible coach that you could have brought in during this season because he's going to coach the team up and take you out of a lottery chance position. And that's true in some way. I do think that this team has won more games than they should have because of the exceptional coaching of John Tortorella. But at the same time, it's not a roster of pending UFAs who are approaching 30 or north of 30 that aren't going to be here moving on uh, into the another season. Like you look at it kind of like the uh, Arizona Coyotes or the Montreal Canadiens as well, where a lot both of those teams have a lot of players on their roster maybe that could be part of the solution moving forward, more so the Montreal Canadiens. So you're trying to set that culture as opposed to, let's say, the Chicago Blackhawks or the San Jose Sharks, that not many of the players on the roster are going to be a part of it when those teams are ready to contend. So you also have to kind of balance between, yes, you want the best draft pick possible, but you also don't want to you know, want to do everything in your power to get that draft pick at the expense of some younger guys in your organization who could be part of the solution moving forward. Yeah, that's well said. Um, Let's get to a couple of things that you reported. Emil Andre is going to join us in about four minutes. So uh, looking forward to talking to the Flyers prospect uh, defenseman who has uh, certainly peeled some eyes open. Let's start with Alan McCauley. Um, I've had Alan on Flyers Daily a few times. I love talking to him. He is an incredibly intelligent hockey man and very well-spoken. And it looks like he may be becoming the GM of uh, the Lehigh Valley Phantoms, speaking of which. Well, that's what I was told last week. I know it was something that they didn't want to get out. Um, when Way I to go in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I, I had heard that, that he was a guy that, you know, they've liked. And I don't think that it's even been discussed directly with him. And I don't think a final decision has been made at all, but that's the way it's looking. Uh, I think that eventually he will be named or at least in some capacity promoted, but I think that he will be named GM of the Lehigh Valley Phantoms at some point. And that's a role that I don't think has been held officially since I believe, was it John Paddock, who was the last official GM of the the Phantoms? 
back in the homegroom days. Like it's kind of been a hybrid of Brent Flair and whoever the G the GM has been for several years now. And when Brent is traveling, it has fallen on Chuck Fletcher or now Danny Briere. So I really think that there's a there's a need, right, to really establish everyone's roles in the organization. And Torts even alluded to that, I believe it was a week and a half ago, that everyone needs to stay in their lanes. And mm-hmm. I think that maybe establishing one person to run the, the Phantoms is a good step in that direction. Like, obviously not a major thing, but I think that it's something that should be, um, should be instilled. You know, I did an interview a couple weeks back with Chris Clark, who's the director of player personnel and the GM of the Cleveland Monsters. And what's kind of funny about that is that I believe Macaulay's current role is director of player personnel with the Flyers. So maybe he just takes on the GM role in addition to the GM role of the Phantoms in addition to his current role. But uh, yeah, nothing official yet, but it certainly is angling that way. And I think that uh, it's something that uh, they want to get done in due time. When you have all of this change with a general manager and there's a, there's a lot of shifting that's going to happen. I'm sure there's a lot of jockeying behind the scenes uh, for two things, vote of confidence that they're going to be employed come July 1st when the league year ends on June 30th and maybe an opportunity for some guys to jump up in their role and get a bigger piece of it. Um, We mentioned Zamula earlier and, you know, he came up in the beginning of the season played decent at first and then kind of looked like he got overwhelmed a little bit by the NHL game still wasn't there. So he went down to the Phantoms and I talked to him when he came back that day at Flyers practice before he played the game, when he came was recalled and he, he cited, you know, the coaching staff down there, letting him make mistakes, but not repeating the mistake in games and trying to pick up his pace of play and be a little harder on pucks and passes with a little more juice. Um, there was, there was a tendency with him and to, you know, make a pass, but, not put enough on it, you know? Yeah. And guys at th- that level, the AHL and NHL, they read that and that's a problem, but he worked on that. Came back up, looked good, but apparently he's now dealing with a, a significant injury. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously that was something that I put out on Saturday, something that I guess in retrospect, I probably should have been more conscious of like, it, you know, it, it, divulging injuries isn't really something that you want to get into. So that's something that in my opinion, I, uh, I made an error on and I'll probably definitely think twice about it um, this another time around, but what's done is done. And yeah, I heard that he is dealing with a significant injury and could miss significant time. Obviously the flyers haven't yet uh, divulged the information on what exactly um, the injury is and uh, how long he will be out there. I, I assume there is a possibility he could come back in the playoffs if everything goes according to plan and if they get lucky and depending how far they go, of course. But uh, the latest I've heard is that he was getting checked on Saturday and that it was a significant injury that was probably going to keep him out for a while. Okay. Well, we don't need any more injuries derailing development. Of course. I mean, I think that's what derailed Morgan Frost, but timing of his shoulder injury and COVID and everything. Just yeah. said him, it, it really was a disruptive element to his development, but it looks like he's gotten around the, the curve now. So uh, best to Zamula as well. We'll have Emil Andrea coming on in just a minute. Uh, and there he is, as a matter of fact. He joins us now on Stick to Hockey Live. It's Jason Martinez, Anthony DeMarco from Montreal. And there he is, Emil Andrea. What's up, Emil? What's up? How you doing, bro? Great. Just got out of practice, so I'm doing I'm doing good. You have a good shower after practice? <laughs> yeah, I did a little hot tub, cold tub, and got a little bit loose, so that's good. Nice. 
Uh, nice to meet you. I'm Jason. That's Anthony DeMarco there up in Montreal. Um, let me ask you first and foremost, you know, coming over, you had a really good year uh, over in Sweden this year and you come over. What's that adjustment been like coming from the game over there and to the game over here? Because you've hit the ground running really well here. Yeah, of course. We, we had a pretty good year. I had a pretty good year in Sweden. Uh, as a team, we were struggling a little bit. Uh, we just got out of the relegation games, too, and uh, I, we got out of there. And uh, since I came here, the, the boys have been taking care of me. And uh, I think during these five games, I, I just getting better and better and I'm um, adjusting to the game pretty quick. And, uh, yeah, I, th I feel like I played really well. And uh, hopefully I can do, do any better. Hey, Emil, nice to meet you, and congrats on coming over. Congrats on the new contract and everything. I uh, just wanted to ask, and you kind of alluded to it there, obviously there is a bit of a difference between the European game and the North American game. Not a lot of games so far for you under your belt, but how have you felt the transition has gone to this point? Uh, of course, there's, there's a bigger rink, of course, so that makes a huge huge difference. Um, but I think the transition game is is the, like, the, the most... Uh, the most area what I have to adapt to like uh, there were boys like you in in Sweden you like a demon in the gap control you kind of like getting a lot of speed gaining speed in the neutral zone coming back but here you're kind of like a little bit flat-footed more and uh, the guys are like flying against you and you you have to be like really really moving your feet and uh, like get, gaining speed back so uh, I think that's the most and Obviously, you you have less time everywhere. Like you're, like the boards come pretty quick, and you have to make quicker decisions. And uh, even the physicality is, is more more physicality in this league than, than in Sweden. So I think that's the most uh, the, the huge the huge difference. They, they get on top of you really quick because there's just less real estate out there. Um, I should ask you this first. Let's make sure we're saying your name right. How do you say your name? <laughs> In in an American accent, I would say Emil Andre. Okay, so it's yeah. not Andrea; it's Andre. Yeah, Andrea. Andrea. Okay. Andre. I, Andre. Okay. Yeah. I, look, it's your name. I don't want to screw it up. Like that's important to get right in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I want to get that. I want to get that straight first. Um, and and you know, Joachim Grumberg is a fire scout over there, and he was telling me, you know, you have really transformed your body a few years ago lowered your body fat, added a lot of lean muscle. What was that process like, and how did you feel like it benefited you on the ice? Well, of course, I'm getting stronger. Uh, and that, that year was the COVID year, and we we had a long summer practice, I remember. And uh, I was really focused and dialed to, to get my body in shape and, uh, like, getting stronger, faster. Um, but, of course, like, like during the whole season, like in the beginning, your, your body's pretty – like ripped and you feel strong and you feel fast and light and and then during like a long like a long season like this the body gets like of course it gets like you have your you have your problems with your body you feel uh, some some places they're like not injured but like uh, you feel you feel a little bit uh, like like stiff and stuff and uh, you're getting care, like, right. You're gaining weight during the season too, so. Uh, but I feel like my body is getting better, better, uh, and the summers, the last three summers has been really good for me. So, uh, hopefully, I can get a big summer practice practice too this year. 
So last summer, you were obviously one of the standouts at the World Junior Hockey Championship, a tournament that was displaced about eight months because when it got shut down uh, over the holidays over a year ago uh, because of COVID. But being able to play that tournament, have such a good tournament, and then jump right into your regular season over in Sweden, did that help you kind of transition that uh, momentum over? And was it better almost setting yourself up going into the regular season with your club team? I think so, yeah. Again, a lot of confidence coming back from that tournament. And obviously the season before I played a lot in the Hockey Svenskan and we, we won and won that champion. And for me, I, I felt that like, okay, I'm, I'm enough good to be like good on this level. Uh, and then we got to the World Juniors and I had a really good tournament there too. So that was kind of like, I felt that, okay, I am. I am. I'm confident in myself, and I feel like I have the all the keys to be good in, in pro hockey. So when we come back after the World Juniors, just I gain a lot of confidence, and I I feel like I brought that into the into the season there. So yeah, and captaining that team as well, Emil. You know, it, you drafted in 2020. You're 54th overall in the second round. Do you feel like you're on your schedule? Kind of, you know, when you get drafted, you go, all right, I'm going to play in the NHL, and I'm going to be there next week, but that's not the reality of it. Do you feel like this is the right time for you to come over, get some experience in the AHL and push for a roster spot with the big club next year? Yeah, I think, I think since I've been like drafted that year, I, I, I knew at that time I was not going to like not be in the NHL for the next two or three years. Uh, I knew I was on a good path in developing and I knew that if I just keep doing what I'm doing right now and just keep development my game and improving every time I I think my I, I know I knew that my chance is going to be there so so during these three years I've been developing my game and hopefully I can just keep on improving every every detail in my game and uh, I think there's a good chance and a good shot for me to 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 make a big step next year yeah you know, you started your tenure with the Phantoms alongside Belpedio, kind of on that de facto top pair, a role that has kind of been filled by two guys uh, prior this season, Cam York now with the Flyers, Zamula, who just kind of went down with an injury. Has that helped you at all, being slid in right to a high-pressure situation with a big role? And what has a guy like Belpedio meant as a partner in the early stages? Yeah, I, I think it helped me. Uh, like, in Sweden, there there's a lot of pressure on you when you play in that league, like, if you're losing, there's a huge pressure on you because you don't want to get into the relegation games and stuff like that too. And last year too, we we made a good run and uh, we made we made playoffs and we uh, we won that league. And that was like like when you get like uh, that when you when you really feel like okay, I'm where I'm I'm a really winner and you I I know I can do it. You like gain that confidence too and. When I came here, of course, there was a lot of uh, expectations on me, and I knew that. And I just trying to get my mentality in that it was the same sport. I, I still gonna play hockey, but uh, I think I think a guy like Louis really helped me too. Like he's talking to me on practices and uh, on games, and like even every even every guy in this team, they're really really nice to me and take me taking care of me. And as soon as you get comfortable off ice you being comfortable on the ice so uh, that's been really huge for me yeah i mean you know we see you playing games we see you in the situation at practice 
but that's only a small part of your day. You come over and you come over in the middle of a season. It's not like you got a ton of time to transition to living in North America, get your living arrangements and all that. It's kind of, you know, living out of a suitcase. So what's that off ice adjustment been like, you know, living in North America now coming over right after your season, how much have the guys like, uh, you know, your fellow Swedes, like Ole Lixell and Adam Yinning and Sam Erson been helpful in that process of getting adjusted to life in North America. Yeah, of course, the Swede has been helping me a lot. Uh, just talking to them and asking questions about the office things, like just some small details you you want to know. You can just talk to them, and it feels like a little bit like you're home when you're talking Swedish to them, of course. Uh, and then I've been, I've been, uh, I have a roommate on on my on my hotel right now. I live with Nolan Meyer, so uh, he's been kind of, kind of helping me too to get everything going. And uh, he's a, he has a car, so we. We go for dinners, dinners and stuff, and uh, we've been hanging out. And uh, even on the golf course, these guys in this team play a lot of golf, and I've been golfing with those guys too. And uh, of course, I've been getting comfortable off ice, and uh, their sweets really help me, and even even the other guys too. So that's hold on, nice. you're you're taking their money on the golf course already? Yeah, not not yet. I have to rent clubs actually, so I haven't been that good actually. <laughs> oh no shit so what's your handicap i have like 14 right now i think all right nice go ahead Ant. So, so like obviously this is a team that is going through a bit of a transition right like new management group kind of entering somewhat of a rebuild and presumably there are going to be a lot of big time roster spots open over the next few years for players like yourself a guy who was drafted a little over two years ago for you, is that any added pressure in the way that you're going to approach the game? And is that something that you think you could thrive on more because you know that there's such a big opportunity on a team that's heading in a younger and rebuilding direction? I think that's a benefit for me and even for the younger prospects here. Uh, uh, of course, I haven't been following the fires that much during the years, but I know there's there's some improvements and they've been changing the staffs and uh, – players in and out and uh and of course he of course there's a kind of rebuild rebuild situation and uh, i think that would like benefit me and uh like like to get my spot on the team that's the only goal i have and it would have been stupid to not have that goal uh so uh i think that would help the younger prospects to trying to make the team and you really feel like okay i probably have a shot on this so i would do do everything to to make it my spot of course uh emil final question for you um you know one of the names that gets you were always looking for comparables right and the name that gets mentioned for you when it comes to flash defenseman is kimo team and um the the former uh flyers defenseman good finish guy played uh, over there as well and kind of came through your neck of the woods kind of uh, on his way to the NHL. What do you know about Kimo? Have you talked to Kimo at all? And, uh, you know, how did you break bread with him yet? No, I haven't, haven't talked to him and I don't, I don't really know him as a player. I know he's, he's a small defenseman and like pretty similar. Like I, my game is pretty similar to his, but uh, I haven't really seen him play it or anything like that. So, um, no. Yeah, he, he was a guy that maybe small in height, but sh that lower half of chemo was like a brick shit house. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, quads like uh, like an NFL running back, just 
so strong on his feet because and he could just stand in there and board battles and he was a, a great guy and a really good defenseman for a long time that they grabbed from Nashville many years ago. Uh, Emil, I know you're a big golf guy and I think the boys are doing a little something for the Masters. Who'd you get in your draft uh, for Masters weekend? Yeah, we did the draft before here actually. Yeah. Who who'd you get to uh win the tournament to try and win the the, the pot? We the were Tiger? No, it was John Rahm actually. Oh, dude, good one. So we were a group of the Swedes actually. So we we had a couple picks, and I think we got a good team. We got to get you down to Augusta and play 18 down there, a little amen corner for you. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be sick, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, there's some good golfing over here. I don't know what the golfing's like over in Sweden, but y- you'll find some good golf around here in the Philadelphia area as well, some really good tracks uh, for you to get out on. Uh, Emil, yeah, that would be been, nice. Yeah, this has been awesome, man. I, you're a great talker. I, I love it, man. <laughs> yeah, I'll try to. Awesome. Well, hey, man, best of luck uh, down the stretch here with the Phantoms. We'll definitely chat again soon. Everybody's rooting for you, and I uh, can't wait to see you up here with the Flyers. Thanks for doing this, and stay well, brother. Yeah, thank you. Have a good time. Good luck, there man. Emil Andre, not Andrea. You got to get the <laughs> name right. You got to get that part equation down. Um, very good talker, man. I'm impressed with the way he, you know, he handled everything, and man, good on him, man. I'm really excited for him. Yeah, very candid too. Uh, very like not the yeah. typical like responses of you know oh he talks in deep that whole thing. Like very candid about what he thinks this opportunity is, the pressure and how he can thrive on it. Bring that over from Sweden, how he was able to carry the momentum and his play from the World Juniors right into the regular season with his club team. I think that this is a guy that's maybe going to be maybe not a diamond in the rough. Like I think everyone knew that his pedigree when he was drafted uh, two and a half years ago. But that that 2020 draft man is looking really, really good right now. You know, you have Forster, you have Andre, you have Den YA. Like those are three players that could be a significant, well, maybe not significant, significant, but be, like important. decently, yeah, important guys for this group moving forward. And they're all still relatively young, right? Like they're all like 22 years old just to jump into the guys who are already on the team who are in that age range here. So, I mean, Obviously, you want someone who maybe can emerge above the rest as like that high-end talent. I think of the three we just mentioned, Andre has the uh, the biggest chance to get to that role. But I mean, look, if you're telling me that you have Andre and York as your top two left shot D for the foreseeable future, to say nothing of what you have in Provorov and Sanheim, who obviously are more expendable now based on what we've seen from York and if Andre's development could stay linear... I think you're in decent shape here. And the only thing that you really got to hope for is at some point you get one that emerges as that stud number one. And to be honest, Andre, maybe it doesn't, isn't a lock to be that role, but probably has an outside chance because of the way he plays the game and thinks the game. Yeah. And then you couple that with, you know, Ronnie Adder, the right shot guy. I don't think he's ever a top pair guy at the NHL level. He may be a third pair guy and, and a power play, you know, with that big shot, maybe PP two, something yeah. like that. And real good kid as well. And kind of like a coach on the bench from what I'm told. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the reason why those players are important is because they're homegrown, they're drafted, yeah. developed, and you're getting, you know, a, a real contribution from the guys you, you got through the draft. And that's a yeah. big thing. Look, look at the really good teams. They're built on their draft and they're supplemented with free agents or trades but they're built through the draft. The depth of their roster is usually always through the draft. Yeah. That's a big time important thing. 
And the other thing that they really have to make sure here, because you had homegrown guys, right? Similar to Andre and Cam York as young left shot D and Provorov and Sanheim and Shane Goss to spare. And I think that even including Andre and Cam York, Provorov had the biggest pedigree coming out of the 2015 draft. Like a lot of people thought, myself included, he'd be contending for a Norris maybe one day. But I think the biggest thing that they have to make sure they don't repeat as they did with Sanheim and Provorov, and to be fair, that was more under the Ron Hextall era, is that you need to make sure that you don't sandbag these guys with no partners to bring them along. You need to put them in a win-win situation and a situation where they're not looking to be the anchor of the defense in their early 20s. You know, I'll always say this, but Ivan Provov playing alongside Andrew McDonald for the first, what, two, three seasons of his of his um, career in the NHL did him no favors. Sanheim coming up and playing with the likes of, uh, who was that guy they brought in? Christian Foline or Radko Gudis on a second pair. Robert Hag. Like, these are guys that probably shouldn't have been playing, especially on their offside as left-shot guys, with younger defensemen who had such high pedigrees. And I think that specifically in the case of Ivan Provorov, irreparable damage was done to his game for trying to overcompensate for partners that shouldn't have been put in that role. So that's why I do kind of think that maybe keeping around Aristolainen, who has been your most steady guy on that right side, if we're not counting Cam York, maybe wasn't the worst idea in the history of what Chuck Fletcher did or whatever. So, I mean, yes, they have the talent here, but they have to make sure that they don't repeat history in terms of that development that we saw with Sanheim and Provorov. Yeah, and I think that's where Torts, you know, and Danny Briere come in in a big way. Don't don't block guys, but you have to have guys around here that teach these guys how to be pros and and how to and put them in a position to excel and develop further at the NHL level. And uh, I'm talking to Lappy too. I know that you know Danny wants just about everybody to to spend time with Lappy before getting to the NHL. No, if you if you get lucky and you get the uh, number one overall pick and you draft Connor Bedard, yeah. he's probably not going to be happy. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> but but that's the thing, right? Like, it's not a one-size-fits-all development path, right? Like, you no. have to be conscious of what kind of player you're dealing with. And maybe Andre's a guy that, you know, by Christmas time in 2023, he's ready to come up. And it's not the same development path for everybody. Like, look at a guy like Igor Zamula, who's taken a bit longer to find his game than a guy like Cam York, although they were still relatively same age, relatively same role that could be filled. But you he just probably have to went be- back for one year to the Brandon Wheat Kings and then came up and has played ever since. Exactly. Even when he first came up, people were saying, he's ready, he's ready, don't send them back. And Sending him back was the right thing to do. Same thing with connecting. Went back to oh, the 100%. And then you look at a guy maybe like Shane Gossespierre, who was drafted in 2012, I believe, and he only made the jump to the NHL in the 15-16 season, and he spent, uh, I believe, three months down with Lehigh. You mm-hmm. look at Travis Sanheim, who was drafted a year before Provorov, and he only made the jump to the NHL on a full-time basis towards the end of the 17-18 season. Yeah. So it really isn't a one-size-fits-all system, and you kind of have to look at what players' games can translate more. Maybe Andre has a more of an advantage over some guys because he's played pro hockey with men over in Sweden and kind of grinded it out more as opposed to let's say a guy like Cam York who came in and over from the NCAA and had to get used to that schedule, had to get used to playing against pros and all that. So yes, you want to do the best for development and no player has ever suffered from too much seasoning in the AHL. But at the same time, you have to be conscious of what player that you're dealing with. And maybe one guy's better suited to, you know, 
fast track his way to the NHL than others that came from, let's say, a junior and NCAA background. No doubt about it. And well said, uh, all podcast. It was well said by you. Mediocrely said by me. Let's wrap <laughs> it up there. That's episode 60 of Stick to Hockey Live. We thank Emil Andre for joining us on uh, this episode. Great to talk to him. We'll be back next week as uh, we'll be entering the final week of the season, if you can believe it. Flyers in Dallas tomorrow. Then on Saturday, they're in New York to take on the Isles. Then Sunday, um, I mean, this next three games is brutal. Dallas, top spot in the Central. You got um, the Islanders, wild card number one. Then you've got the best team in the NHL by a landslide with over an 800 winning percentage in the Boston Bruins. Then you got Columbus and Chicago to wrap it up with uh, two teams that aren't so good. So we'll see how it plays out. Five to go uh, for the Flyers. Is it five? One, two, three, four. Yeah, five games left. I can't believe this season's I'm miserable already. Ant, great job. Uh, follow Ant on Twitter at ADeMarco25. Read his stuff at thefourthperiod.com. And uh, check all that out there as well. If you're not following them, you better follow them. You better leave us a five-star rating and review as well. That'll help other Flyer fans and hockey fans find this content. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for watching. We'll talk to you next time on a brand-new episode of Stick to Hockey Live. Have a great day, everybody. Mm-hmm.